Fan Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I'm coming to you from a caravan park in Kerry. And uh, the weather is not great. It's windy here. And I forgot all my baseball caps. So I'm kind of walking around the place looking a little bit like a stop sign. But it's good. Having a nice time. Getting into some water. Uh, doing some sea swimming. Although I'm not going any higher than my waist. <laughs> um, and yeah, really, really good and enjoying it. And I've got a TRK podcast for you. Well, TRK Mailbag specifically. Catching up with some of the questions over the last couple of weeks. Some of them are uh, from maybe a week or two ago. Others are more pertinent as in in the last couple of days. I'll get to the first one, which is a couple of questions. The first one, and I'm going to amalgamate them. And it's about this. Um, people have been watching the Irish Under 20s Championship. I got three or four emails there in the last couple of days from people who were looking at the under 20 at Irish under 20s playing their last two games against England and against Australia and wondering what they weren't seeing when it comes to Sam Prendergast because it seemed there was a lot of praise and and um, not hype but a kind of you know lauding of the player uh, over the last couple of days and in the months previous of course since the under 20s uh, Six Nations and, and since that one game against the Lions and basically a lot of the questions were what am I not seeing based on what I'm hearing in the media afterwards and on the commentary uh, and I think to understand what the crack is with Sam Prendergast right now you kind of have to look at him in two different ways there is one Sam Prendergast the player and then there is number two Sam Prendergast the media construct or the discourse around Sam Prendergast which are two I'd say very very distinct things um, what I've seen so far from Sam Prendergast over the course of this year um, in the under-26 nations, uh, in the games I've seen him playing for Leinster, uh, and the I think the one or two games he played for, for Lansdowne at the AIL, I think it was one for sure anyway, I know I saw him. Um, and again, in these last two games uh, for the Irish under-20s in uh, down in South Africa, is that there's a player there. That's the Sam Prendergast, the player. Of course, he's incredibly raw. He's a young player. He's still, like, he's still more than growing into his frame. He's a he's a big guy, six foot five. He's long. He's got you know fair, fairly long levers. So he's a unique prospect in that regard. When it comes to uh, a ten who plays that big, uh, typically we don't really see that. Um, but you look at the, the 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 player himself, and there's a huge upside. Like any any guy that size, you'd be looking to fill out. So that won't take a season. That'll take two, maybe three seasons to get up to, to speed with his frame. You're going to be adding weight. You're going to be adding muscle mass. With that, there comes a whole load of unpredictable uh, things that can happen once you start adding size onto an athlete's frame. Um, at the moment, he I would say he's a very good young player. But... A lot of the talk around him that he should be going to a World Cup and whatever else this like the like the, the the full senior World Cup this September or that he's somehow the next guy in line. I think if that were to be the case, I would have very serious questions about the ability and the judgment of the, the Irish national coaches to put a young player as raw as he is into that scenario. Um off the back of what have been I would say ranging from average to very good performances at under at under 20 level which is i would say below AIL level when we're looking at quality wise and difficulty wise okay for the most part i would look at sam prendergast as being a fellow who's got a lot of potential um what we've seen in the last two games has been some good some bad if i was to assess Sam, uh, just based on what he is at the moment, which, again, I think, for me, can be a little bit unfair because, you know, again, fly half, I would say, is the most uh, difficult position to play in the field um, when it comes to the expectation and the ability for things to go wrong. Like, not only do you have to be, like, a a rugby player, as in, like, to be able to do all the bits and pieces that every other player is expected to do, you're also more than likely going to be the goal kicker. You're more than likely going to be the guy responsible for organising the uh, attack, for organising, like, phase attack, for organising, like, your attack off the set piece. If you're wearing 10 in your back, you're going to be a leader in the team. 
that's that in and of itself is a difficult spot to be in if you're a, a young player because there's an awful lot of mental load on you in that position so when you are that guy it's difficult so the higher you go and the more difficult the games that you play the more difficult it becomes to to excel in that in, in that in that spot because look as a younger player there is a lot of especially for a guy like Sam Prendergast there was a lot of expectation so like hype creates expectation now I will get into that in a second as to why that isn't necessarily the case here but when you look at what we've seen from um, Prendergast so far we can see that he's a, a young player with flaws huge upside but flaws also I find he's very static with regards to his movements now he's very good resetting phase for phase that's not what I'm talking about it's his action once he's on the ball that's what I find at the moment to be I would like to see a little bit more variety I would like to see a little bit more explosivity and agility from him he's a player when the ball is within five meters of the try line fantastic very little needs to be worked on in that spot because he's got the size where he can carry from that range he's he's long enough that as long as he gets two or three meters like maybe two meters ahead off the carry he's got the the length of the arms to maybe try and dot that down or at least cause a fairly considerable uh defensive compression but you look at his his passing range as well from close range very dangerous because he's a good passer of the ball and if you look at the the big moments he's been involved in um they've all come from that close range set right where he's either kicked the ball really long off a penalty or he's maybe got a 50 22 although he didn't get the one that everybody keeps crediting him for that i've seen um against the lions that was i think it was rob russell but you look at his ability once he once you get into that five meter or close range sam prendergast is looks like the finished article for a lot of for a lot of uh the time i've seen him but there's a lot more to the game than what you do there like the step and sling thing that he does a lot of leinster fly halves tend to do that um with the exception of harry byrne who has a lot of the things that sam prendergast doesn't have but is missing a lot of the stuff that he does have and i think looking at um like Prendergast will say between the 22s he can be a little bit static good passer and he needs a lot of action running off him and I think what I what I mentioned there the other day in the secret club was is that the forwards extend the range of Prendergast's movement you look at the way that Ireland play there's an awful lot of tip-ons screen ball coming from the forwards with that comes risk as well uh, Ireland seem to be okay running that at the moment but what we've what I've seen from Prendergast in, in in this certainly in the last two games that I've seen him is that when he gets the ball he his pass per carry is very very high so like he's mostly passing the ball which is fine you could be a distributor but what I would like to see and this is going to happen as the levels go up and the difficulty goes up is that once uh, coaches start to put real resources into shutting down Sam Prendergast that's when he'll need to react so you will see in the same way that Sam Prendergast has a lot of commonalities with Ross Byrne with regards to how they play what kind of works for shutting down Ross Byrne also kind of works for Sam Prendergast they've got similar tendencies but they're coming up in the Leinster system where that's what's worked for Leinster so like you look at the last couple of years I think Sam Prendergast in particular is a product of his environment he's a product of what Leinster have been looking for with their incredibly top-down way of, of 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 recruiting players in like and this is one of the side effects of stability like the stability Leinster have had in the last six or seven seasons has been massive like really really impressive where Lancaster has been in situ for a long time kind of like a, a coaching DNA type player you look at Leo Cullen certainly a coach as well but from what you hear from him he's more of a guy of an overall manager director of rugby to a certain extent what Stuart Lancaster has done and and you go look and, and talk to anybody who's been involved with with the true Leinster schools or Leinster underage is just how involved and how available the likes of Stuart Lancaster has been and what Leinster are looking for 
is like players who can fit into their system relatively quickly. You look at the guys who've come up through their academy, they've been fellas who've had a similar profile in that they fit the role sets they already have available to them. It's the gold standard really as to what you, you know, for a system going forward that your academy doesn't produce just random players. It brings in guys who can fill a role in the team that's a long-standing role in the team. And Leinster, if you look at the individual roles and we'll say units in their team, like they have like very set profiles of players that they that, that they're looking for. You look at the type of back five players, for example, that Leinster bring in, very, very rarely at the moment will they go for a small forward type build unless they're a particularly talented player. A lot of the time they're going for guys who have either Caelan Doris's build or the potential to sort of fill out a role a bit like Ryan Baird or somebody like that. Like they fill the academy with role duplicates of the players that they already have like for example you look at the Leinster wingers at the moment the fellas they're both bringing into the academy and the fellas who end up playing for them for the majority they're essentially midfielders and you look at the likes of you know uh, Osborne who's playing with the Irish North 20s at the moment the, the brother of um, the other Osborne whose name escapes me at the moment who's currently in the Ireland squad like they're very very similar players but you could easily see like both those Osborne guys taking up the jersey of James Lowe after James Lowe is finished. Like they all have that ability, especially their wingers. Fullbacks can be anything, but you look at their their wingers for the most part, they all follow a similar style for the most part. And I think when you look at how Leinster have been building over their last couple of, of well, certainly since Lancaster came in, that stability allows you to have a system that guys can aspire to and fit themselves into. You look at Leinster, you look at their 10s in particular. They have nobody under 6'2", right? Harry Byrne is probably the shortest of them. Like, you look at Kieran Frawley, 6'3". You look at Ross Byrne, he's 6'3 as well. Johnny Sexton is 6'1", 6'2". I think, he might, I think he's 6'2", listed as 6'2". Harry Byrne is the same. Uh, Sam Prendergast is 6'5". They're looking for players who have that big, solid frame because of the system that they play, that like that 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 three two X that they've been running more or less for the last five or six years. You need to have a certain profile for it. Leinster's system is based on counter transition. I'll be speaking more about that in a minute, but you've got a lot of kicking. So you kicking has to be a big part of your profile. The longer your boot, really, the better. You look at Ross Byrne, his tactical kicking generally is quite good. Johnny Sexton's is, you know, one of the best in the world. And you look at Sam Prendergast, he's following in those footsteps. He's got a very, very long boot. That kind of thing alone gets you noticed and kind of pushes you up the chart with regards to, well, what profile are we looking for? Okay, this guy has, he's a he's a, a big physical 10. Okay, good. That That's one positive. You look at his kicking game. Yeah, he's really good off the tee. That's always going to be good regardless of, you know, what club you're coming up in. So that's also a positive, but he's got a huge boot in him. So again, because he's six foot five, he's got longer legs. Guys like that have bigger, longer boots. It's just the way that it goes. You can kick the ball further. It is what it is. So that's like, that's another plus on top of that as well. But then you look at, well, his passing is really good also. So you're thinking, okay, he's a big frame. You can put a little bit more size in that as well. So you can get that sort of physicality that Johnny Sexton has where he's never really, and Leinster's system has never really revolved around having a 10 who's a massive pace guy. It's based around radiating pass options. And that's what Johnny Sexton, when he's at his best, that's what he's able to pick out. Ross Byrne runs the system the same way. And Sam Prendergast, they're thinking, will run the system the same way also because he's got a very, very similar profile. And he's come up in that system. So he has been instructed by, he is aspiring to a profile of player that's already there. So, of course, he's a fella who has started to, you know, pick up a lot of hype early on because he fits the system exactly. Like, you look at a guy like, we'll say, Tony Butler, right? Who is around 5'10", 5'11", playing for Munster in the academy. He is nippy. He is quick. He is agile. Um, he's a fellow who's got a good carrying game himself. He's steppy. He's elusive. 
not the biggest kicker of the ball in the world relatively accurate off the tee but it's more about what can he do as an offensive piece when I've seen him for Gary Owen or when I've seen him for Munster A that's kind of what you're looking for from Tony Butler he's a really really good athlete he's explosive he's agile he is a player who when the ball is in his hands it's not necessarily who he passes to is the big danger from anywhere in the field it's him himself you have to take him into account as well Munster are building a profile of 10 that kind of fits that mould like you look at Jack Crowley for me he's undisputedly the guy now at Munster his profile is what we're looking for at 10 the system that we've changed to last preseason, I think I spoke about it on, on podcasts just like this fits very much what Jack Crowley is good at and what jo- Joey Carberry to an extent should be good at didn't really work out that way but that's kind of what we're looking for now is guys who fit that profile which is different from what Leinster are doing but this is why we're talking about what Sam Prendergast and why he is kind of on the, the trajectory he's on is because he perfectly fits what Leinster are doing and to an extent then what Ireland are doing because there's a lot of similarities between the Irish national team even what the Irish or 20 teams are doing to what would be the base Leinster style which you know again big set piece um, you're kicking for position a lot of the time so there's counter transition game there involved as well but what is expected from the 10 in that system is not necessarily your own offence but your ability to pick a pass and to use the, the skill set of those around you to extend the play. You watch Ireland in the last two games. When Ireland have looked really good, there's been a lot of passing from forwards, you know, from your tip onto your forward or from a swivel ball off the screen to your 10. He hits the big midfielder or he slings the ball on then as well. That's fine. My, my one worry and concern about it is, and this is what people I think we're picking up, is that when Sam, Sam Prendergast is not kicking well off the tee, that brings a lot of pressure onto the 10 if we're looking at them from the Leinster perspective. Because you've got, you know, you've, your, your main roles are, can you move the ball down the field with the boot, both off the penalty and off out of hand in counter transition? Okay, you'll be assessed on that. Can you pass and, and find your passes relatively well on a really kind of heavily moving 3-2x system yes if you can that's a positive but you have to also I would think more so than other teams you have to make your threes because what Leinster system produces is it produces a lot of penalties so you have to be able to execute with your you know kicking the ball down the line or you have to be able to execute off the tee uh, conversions as well whatever like I know it sounds like a truism oh your kicker has to be good at kicking the ball Yes, of course. But in Leinster system, I would say that it's almost there's more of a weight on it because you're not judged on your own offense, so to speak. You look at the way that Sam Prendergast would play and the way that a, uh, a Jack Crowley would play, it's very different. And I think that comes down to style, it comes down to the overall framework that the teams are playing. And at the moment, and I think over the last couple of years, I think you could say it would, it would be fairly sensible. A lot of what the Irish national team are doing are based on what Leinster do. So with that comes issues. There's problems that come with that as well, as well as benefits. Now at the moment, I think what we've seen from, from Ireland is is that if we don't get penalty return on any sequence of, fa- uh, of, of phases that we might be playing, we need a penalty, Right. Or we need a, uh, a, 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 a defensive mistake or, or something along those lines. What we've seen from Sam Prendergast and what I've seen over the last couple of, of, of games is, is that certainly even against Australia, while they had parity in the scrum or, or more so even, um, we were not finding it easy to break them down because a lot of what we were doing from 10 was literally just bouncing the ball between the 15 meter line on, on both sides of the field with very little in the way of deception. So basically, what Australia had to worry about was the carry-off 9, right? The carry-off 12. But once that ball was in Sam Prendergast's hands, it was always going to somebody else. So you could see Australia begin to drift on Prendergast whenever he started to have the ball. That started to develop during the first half. Now, in the second half, conditions got worse. They were getting absolutely pumped in the scrum. So basically, they, they had no way of, of, of you know, giving them a, a block in the game that they could kind of springboard off. They basically had to suffer 
and you know when you look at the way that Ireland were, were hurting them in the mall hurting them in the scrum we were just able to kick the ball downfield consistently basically a good spot to be in if you're Sam Prendergast because th- that's one of the big strengths in your game but what I, I have noticed is is that his ability to run the offense of the team when they're shutting down his pass options he doesn't then adjust with his own carrying game because I think he's such a rangy carrier of the ball I think it's difficult for him to impose himself physically also his speed and possession isn't that great either his agility isn't that great so he's a guy he's a big target essentially because he's he's 6'5 he's not massively elusive at the moment he isn't hugely powerful either so that's a guy who I think he understands himself that he doesn't have the frame at the moment unless there's a really obvious edge space for him to attack that he has to back his pass the majority of the time and that's what I think he spent a lot of his resources on coming up because you've only got so many things you can drill only only got so many things you can train certainly when you once you get into a, a semi-pro or professional environment so you look at his passing is really good but it's the the lack of movement when he's passing that I think at the moment will cause an issue down the line where he'll have to adjust and he's got so much time to adjust that area of his game where like he has got the ability and, and, and the framework to start forcing compressions himself like we saw a little bit from Ben Healy this season certainly from the from the latter half of the season where he was able to to bring his large frame into the game a little bit more and all of a sudden there was opportunities being produced for him that, that weren't there previously so I think with Sam Prendergast he's a great passer of the ball um, but he to be as good as he is he has to be quite static so it's hard to pass the ball on the move right if you're running if you're moving if you're like showing a lot of you know body changes while you're in possession it can be difficult to pass the ball in, in, in that circumstance as accurate as accurately as what you might need to so I think that with Prendergast and this is something that's a larger factor when it comes to counter transition you're going to have to be more of a threat yourself with the ball in hand I think that's like I think that's a trend that's going to be coming into the game very soon you have to be able to produce that sort of attacking threat yourself rather than being a facilitator of the ball especially with the way the teams are playing because I certainly from a stylistic perspective if you were going to play a 10-12 where your 12 was the primary creator and I wouldn't be surprised actually if that's something that they look at at Sam Prendergast down the line where he could end up being a ball playing 12 given his size and frame but I think what Sam Prendergast at the moment especially with the midfield that Ireland are playing this is something that, 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 that Ireland at both national level and under 20 level they want to have hitters in midfield so the way that they're playing at the moment they certainly do have that so that limits your ability to, we'll say, split off some of the playmaking to somebody else. So Prendergast at the moment, I find, is facilitating an awful lot. But then the quality re- relies on your 12, 13, your fullback, your wingers to, to, to make that the extra step. Rather than, well, what can Prendergast produce himself that then allows him to unlock an area of the game for somebody else. At the moment, I, I find that a lot of his work is passing to a guy who appears to be in space that space might not actually be there though in reality I think I saw some of that against Australia where there was a lot of passing into the second layer to the likes of uh, Henry Mackerlean and a couple of other guys like that um, to Hugh Gavin I think it was big midfielder outside centre he was able to crash the ball up relatively well but that's where the sort of the playmaking ended it was basically okay the screen pass to 10 10 makes the pass then to the action and then the action is whatever it is but it was always cluttered because I think the pass was always coming from Prendergast that's the player I think he's a very good player there I think he needs to build up his physicality his athletic profile all that but look, he will know that and Leinster know that like this is not a case of like and it's the same for all of the hype and bullshit that's around Leinster rugby and around, around Irish rugby for the most part it's not the players or the staff or the coaches who are involved in this it's the media bubble that surrounds them and I think that that is certainly true with Sam Prendergast who I think we saw against the Lions did relatively well in that game had a really poor game against the Bulls but everybody in the Leinster jersey had a poor game in that in, in, in that one the media construct of Sam Prendergast which I think is what people are, are, are reacting to is there's such an amount of hope 
and expectation and hype that's on Sam Prendergast, the player, from media. And this this happened in the aftermath of the under-20s, where because Johnny Sexton was very visibly coming to the end of the road, where you know he was retiring at the after this World Cup, there became a sort of pressure from media to anoint his successor. This has been going on since, I think, last summer, right? Where you're talking about Kieran Frawley, you're talking about Harry Byrne, you're talking about Ross Byrne. Like, there wasn't so much capital spent on, on Jack Crowley, but this is because a lot of the people who were doing the hyping are in the Dublin rugby bubble. So, to them, there's not a massive separation uh, conceptually between Leinster and Ireland. So, I think for the last 10 years, Johnny Sexton has owned that jersey at, at, at Irish level, like the number 10 jersey. Absolutely, 100%. For all but two years of that 10 years, he has also been Leinster's captain and the Alpha and Omega of that team. So, with him retiring, that leaves a fairly big conceptual hole in Leinster and Irish rugby that you know, people in the Irish Independent, people in the Irish Times, these are all, again, in the Dublin rugby bubble. They need that filled with a Leinster player. So, like, it's not enough for them to be, okay, well, he will start for Leinster or he will be a good player for Leinster and then maybe Ireland. That isn't enough. It's got to be Leinster and Ireland or Ireland and then Leinster. That's something that they really love as well. The precedent's been set for that with with, uh, James Ryan, of course. That's, you know, I think it's it's more to do with that Johnny Sexton is retiring. He will not be playing next season, as far as we're aware, <laughs> right? Um, but that's the, the big worry and concern is that they have nobody to replace him right now. They've tried Harry Byrne, didn't work. They've tried Ross Byrne. A lot of work this week, this year went into kind of pretending that Ross Byrne isn't what he is, which I think is a, a decent player. I think that he's got a ceiling and that ceiling is the very elite level of European rugby and test rugby. Okay? I think this season Leinster have had a fairly soft run up until the semi-final which to be fair he played very well there but then when the pressure got really, really high in that game against um, La Rochelle started to go into his shell a little bit and, and wasn't the type of 10 I think that they were hoping that he would be in that moment. Doesn't mean that he's never going to be that guy but in that moment he wasn't. So, Kieran Frawley, they again tried to make this guy into always oh, the heir apparent to Sexton. Leo Cullen never saw him in that light. Andy Farrell did for a bit. He's injured a lot. That's kind of hurt a lot of his momentum as well. So, Sam Prendergast, when you see him coming up, Leinster player, um, you know, the likes of Bernard Jackman and, and Richie Murphy really love him. You know, I think I think he, he's in the same school that Bernard Jackman does a bit of coaching at as well. So there's a bit of a link there. So there's a lot, there's a lot of hype in the Six Nations under 20. Ireland won a Grand Slam. Sam Prendergast had some big moments in that. All of a sudden, he's the guy. He's the next fella. And I think you look at how Harry Byrne, how it turned out for him, should have led people to be a little bit more judicious with how they hype guys. That did not stop them in this instance. It just kept going kept rolling and I think that the hype is such now I can't think of a player other than Harry Byrne actually who received as much of a hype train from the media bubble as Sam Prendergast did to the point where there were some objectively poor moments from the player um, in the last two games against England and against um, Australia but there's no vehicle there's no means to objectively say that okay he's had an okay game here he has to have played well like there was a, I think there was a moment there in the last game against Australia where he missed a kick and it was said by the commentary team that oh well that'll give him confidence that he, that he missed the kick and I think it's a lot of it is because they, they want him to be ready now they need him to be ready now because if it's a case that Johnny retires after the World Cup which you know I'm 99% sure that he is the natural successor at the moment based on the momentum and and trends that are in the game is Jack Crowley now I think that there is a a natural aversion in the Leinster rugby bubble which extends to a lot of their media as well to have a guy like that from Munster as being the 10 I think that there's a preference that that be a Leinster guy 
Um, and, 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 and like that's not even like, oh, Dublin media stuff. That's just, I think, how they perceive the game. There's a, a comfort there, a level of comfort there. Oh, well, look, it was Sexton for the last 10 years. Sam Prendergast is a bit like Sexton. He's very like Sexton. Maybe he is Johnny Sexton. And we just put him in like for like, and we don't have to go through a period of uncertainty or whatever else like that. Because I think people understand that the 10 obviously is very important. Whichever province controls the 10 jersey controls an awful lot else as well eventually there's an understanding there as well that's kind of unsaid in that also but that's the media construct around Sam Prendergast personally I think he's a very good player I think he's got a huge upside massive potential but potential is what it is and I think that for the next season um, after this under 20 world championship this is not a boy who should be going to the fucking World Cup unless he's going there with a point in his hand um, but this is a guy who I think next season should be playing with Lansdowne I think he should be getting reps in 1A I think, and I think that next year I think they'll have Ian Madigan playing with them as well I think so good player to learn off there he should be playing A rugby he should have a couple of low level URC games I think if he played between 5 and 10 URC games next season and look, look there could be injuries and there could be more opportunities for him to step up and, and have a few bench appearances for bigger games or maybe an Interpro. Perfectly fine. But he just needs to play as much rugby as he can. I think at the moment, he's quite raw. And I think that with the expectation that's already on him, I'm not sure throwing him in at the deep end with Leinster throughout the season, I'm not sure if that's the best idea for me. Given how young he is, I think he's a fellow who needs rugby more so than, okay, we need to see you in a blue 10 jersey starting fucking 10 or 12 URC games next season, maybe one or two European Cup games. That's fine with some of the old bullshit games that Leinster have had over the last couple of years where, look, they're always winning regardless of who's playing a 10. But I think for, for me, for a young talent like that, we're talking about maybe two seasons down the line, that's a fella who they should be looking to scale up then. I think at the moment... Physically, he just needs to add a good bit of mass to himself at the moment to settle into that so he's not overly burdened by it and let his game develop from there then. Because if you start adding in a lot of size, a lot of muscle mass or whatever else and throw on maybe 10 kg, that can affect everything from your running gait to your tackle technique to your kicking technique, everything. And like, you have to settle in on that. At the moment, I think he's too wiry. I think he's too long to play extended levels of senior rugby at the moment like a bench appearance here and there or a start against maybe the dragons at home or whatever perfectly fine but once it starts getting to the serious rugby because that's what we're looking for we're not looking for fellas and this is true for Leinster the same as it is for Ireland Leinster aren't looking for a fella who can you know kick 30 points against the dragons in February you know like we've seen that with Harry Byrne already this fine clowning on the fellas who have have no interest in playing Leinster and have showed up there kind of fucking half beaten not even half beaten 80% beaten before they even take the field take their beating and go home and then forget the game ever happened like Leinster have plenty fellas who can do that Charlie Tector can do that Harry Byrne can do that that doesn't mean that they're ready to be a guy who Leinster can rely on when it comes to the elite level games this I think has been a problem for Leinster is that and, and this is actually it goes to the whole idea of Leinster not being tested throughout the season which I, I actually believe there is merit in for the most part you look at Leinster's last couple of years in Europe they haven't had a serious game really until the semi-final and that semi-final has been at home the last two seasons they've won them incredibly comfortably and the final then has been a different story a lot of that comes to the dominance that Leinster have how good they are um, how well uh, how well drilled their machine is um, but I think that when it comes to the development of Sam Prendergast the best thing that he could find himself in is difficult games at AIL level at maybe Leinster A level and in, even in Leinster games where you've got a difficult situation playing out in front of you and I think that that's what develops top young players is that ability to adapt under pressure and that's something I think that has affected the likes of Harry Byrne who got into the Irish team off the back of you know Leinster putting a huge score up on a fucking test window scarlet side in January like come on 
Like these these are not difficult games. And then when the level goes up, all of a sudden the player isn't half the guy he was when they were, you know, slapping that fucking test window scarlet's tied around the place and you people are surprised, like, oh, oh well you know, then then people stop talking about Harry Byrne because the level went up but he didn't. You know? And then there was a, another groundswell of, of, of support for Harry Byrne this year because again he was playing in a lot of you know slapless Leinster games where the team are showing up half beaten Leinster didn't go on to fully beat them and it's like oh well Harry Byrne he's got a big summer coming up in green because again people can't assess the level of the games they're watching and I think that the biggest thing for Sam Prendergast is to avoid those like Sam Prendergast playing at 10 while a fucking hugely experienced Leinster pack in front of them piece up the fucking you know zebra and all of a sudden then Sam Prendergast is going oh okay he kicks a few penalties maybe he scores a try he kicks seven out of eight conversions all of a sudden it's like should he be playing for Ireland now no these are not the games he should be playing in I think like this is why I'm saying AIL would be really good for him because he needs to see difficult games where you've got like big physical opponents relatively speaking and you've got to work your way around the game that's something I think that's affected, especially the way Leinster uh, play. I think that's affected a lot of their tens over the last four or five years. And remember, Johnny Sexton did not have to come up through that. Johnny Sexton had all those difficult games and had all those difficult days. He didn't break through properly till he was 24, 25. So this is a guy who understands the difficulty that comes with the game, the hashtag adversity that you need, I think, as a 10 to start building your experience and building the pictures that you are then going to hopefully take advantage of once you start to mature and start to manipulate games. That's the thing I think that's affected the likes of Harry Byrne, certainly, Ross Byrne to an extent as well. And I don't think Leinster can afford, and Ireland can't afford, to have a guy like Sam Prendergast get on the same route. So that's something I think that, while people might be right in saying that he hasn't played outstandingly well in the last couple of games against... Um, you know, uh, England under 20 and Australia under 20, he's certainly a good player, a player who I think needs time, but experiences also. And I'm not talking about being number 22 against fucking Zebra or the Dragons or at home against Cardiff and Cardiff are showing up with the janitor and the fucking under 12s. Like, that's not what I'm talking about as experiences. I'm talking about the proper difficult games where you have to where you have to think your way around the field and you have to maybe sometimes fuck up and lose the game and bank that information as well so i think that's something that uh, sam prendergast has more than capa- like the, ca- the capacity to do a massive player i think certainly going to, going to be going in the next, the next three or four years i think he's got a very very big future but i would be very reluctant in throwing a whole lot of expectation on that young guy right now so I spent 40 minutes on that one. So let's get to the next question. <laughs> um, this is from Alex Fulton. Uh, mailbag. Question. The 2014-ish heating of player wages by English clubs. Would this have happened by someone else if they didn't do it? And if it never happened, what sort of wages would we be seeing now for a top-class player compared to now? Given how we currently think rugby players have short careers with enough risk for the money already, would the wages in pre-2014 inflation market be even more criminal compared to now? Yeah, it's a, that, that's actually a very good question, Alex. Um, if we go back to 2014... And we look at the contract that was signed by then Irish captain Paul O'Connell. Um, at that time, he signed a contract for I think it was around between six. Tw- uh, we'll say maybe six hundred and fifty grand per year, which is a lot of money, right? But at that time, there was a lot of pressure on coming from the English clubs. That started between 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014, where there was a lot of money floating around the English clubs, but also the French clubs who got a big deal from Canal Plus at the time but also when you look at the the relative wages up until that point if the highest point in the market for Irish players was Paul O'Connell at that point at around 650 grand a year that'll give you an idea of well if he's the captain and the best player basically like you know look at what Johnny Sexton is now or a Tyke Furlong maybe then everybody else kind of fell underneath that bracket so if you're a French owner at the time you've, you've got a lot of money swilling around from Canal Plus or if you're or Canal Plus <laughs> or if you're in the English Premiership where you've got basically a fucking bonanza from BT Sport just to get away the rugby from Sky Sports that's what they paid a premium for and they ended up getting it 
you've got money to spend and uh, the English club certainly did and as you've said there it did lead to a big overheating in the market and I think we're still feeling the effects of that today now at a certain point I think rugby players should be paid more than they are but the game as it stands at the moment does not support fully the money that I think they should be paid um, I think that the Irish system at the moment is probably the best one. It's certainly not without its flaws, but it's directly connected to Test Rugby. So the closer you are to Test Rugby, that's where the money is earned at the moment in, in the game. Outside of France, maybe. But even then, they've got benefactors and have to put in a fair bit of money as well. Test Rugby is the big earner in modern-day rugby. So the closer you are to the money generated by that level of the game, the better off you are for the most part. You know, in Ireland, we've stumbled on a really good system where the Irish national team is doing really well at the moment. They generate an awful lot of money. That money gets poured back into the provinces where the majority of that money goes on players and goes on contracting and keeping your players and getting a, a cycle of players coming up from, you know, academy level up to your, you know, your first contract, your mid-level guys, then your top guys and your elite guys. So, like, in back in the summer 2014, that money for your top top players your most valuable guys was around 600k now at the moment it's between 700 and 800 maybe up to 900k for your top guys now we don't think there's any irish guy at the moment who's over 800k but you look at the likes of tyke furlong i would say andrew porter they're very close to that level at the moment i'd say the likes of uh, james ryan is in that conversation as well so then you're looking at the very, very, you know, like other, like the, the the money that's been paid to certain other players as well would be higher still. Not not in Ireland, but outside of Ireland. Um, and that's kind of where the top of the market is at the moment. Now, for Ireland, we can afford to pay players that because it's a bit like that RT scandal that's kind of going around the place at the moment where there's lots of like people going, well, how is Ryan Tuberty worth, do you know, whatever they're fucking paying him? I don't know. He is worth that to RTE because they feel he brings that money in in sponsorships. And if they were to lose him for whatever the difference in money, and remember, this is very similar to the Johnny Sexton problem in 2014, by the way, when he left to go to Racing, which is around the time when Paul O'Connell um, signed that deal, which I think they're not unconnected as well. Um, it's like, well, if we have to pay him 250 grand a year, but his shows bring in two million a year then we'll pay that then we're, we're, we're paying that money to make more money the Irish system can work that way because the top earning part of the game is test rugby the union contract these players directly so they're contracting these players to make money at test level so the whole system works so there's obviously a top level to the money that you can be paid certain guys are more valuable than others this breaks down in positional you know importance as much as anything else but i think that without the english clubs that were there i think the french clubs still would have been inflating the money as is and if that big wage explosion didn't happen i think we'd be broadly in the same spot where i know there's inflation involved as well but again we look at the contract that paul o'connell signed with toulon reportedly upwards of 900k a year now he never ended up playing with them because he had to retire obviously but that'll give you an idea as to the inflation that went from his last contract with the RFU roughly around 650,000 euro up to a reported 900,000 euro per year at, at Toulon so that'll give you an idea as to some of the inflation that was coming in there and this wasn't just the English Premiership teams this was also coming from um, this was also coming from the um, French clubs also and like I think at the time, this was pre-David Nusifora. So if teams were going, like players in particular, would be dealing with the committee and their agents would be dealing with the committee rather than one guy. So th it was a bit of a shit show anyway. Um, but it'll just give you an idea as to the inflationary uh, stuff that's gone on since then. But I think with the English clubs, I don't necessarily blame them for doing what they did. I think their idea was that, well, we'll spend money to make money. So we'll spend, you know, if we have to sign, what guys did they get in? I can't even remember the players that they signed in, but if they sign player X in for 600K, maybe he was on 400K, they're thinking, well, we'll either get the player, we have the money to pay him, or the Irish clubs or the Welsh clubs will have to come somewhere near um, or the money that we've offered 
to keep that guy they can't afford it so we're hurting them so we'll get them next time maybe they don't have the money to compete um so we'll burn them out of it with the money that we're offering and you know maybe we will redline but we've got more money than they do so when they run out of money and be fucked we'll also be fucked but we'll be the only game in town so i think that's what their idea was i understand it not necessarily the most ethical way to do it but i think that that's what their theory was in that we will overheat the market we can we can stand the heat they can't so even if things don't work out for us we'll be only we'll be the only game in town we'll sort it out with whatever will happen but i think that's what their idea was um but I, I think at the moment, I would say that without that inflationary bubble, I would say we'd still be around at the max, we'd still be around that 600k level. Now, there are guys now who are above that, and I'd say considerably above it from an Irish perspective. But there's not much, that much of a difference. But if your top guy and your captain and one of the best players in the world, three times Lions captain, was on 650 in 2014 obviously there there's not going to be many guys on that level I'd say now there are multiple guys who are near enough I'd say within 50 or 100k of that and you know below it and maybe a few guys who are on top of it that's kind of the inflation that's kind of happened where there's more guys who are reaching that top top level of money um but yeah no good question and I hope I did a decent job of answering it uh, this one is from Freddie Pooch fan club Tom has the move of the high performance center and therefore headquarters resulted in a swing towards academy and other young players needing or feeling they need to base themselves in Limerick for both AIL and university or is it a case of a young Cork tip Waterford lad can choose to stay at home and commute is it only when you turn pro you need to be based in Limerick nothing against Limerick just interesting based on the new academy intake and discussions about college bursaries for rugby players yeah um, I think that you Look, the High Performance Centre is, is based in UL. It is more convenient and it is certainly handier for you as a young player to be based in Limerick than what it is to be based in, we'll say, Cork or whatever else. There isn't a massive pressure, but I've, I think there is an expectation that if you want to be in the Munster Academy now, you're more than likely going to have to move to uh, Limerick unless you have a very specific college course that isn't there and you're worth it they will work around you like John Hodna for example did not live in Limerick until relatively recently um, he was studying in UCC and did not want to move so they kind of just had to you know he had to commute he had to do bits and pieces now I think you could do that these days if you wanted um, but it's certainly much easier because you'll have your AIL club there there's less travelling involved it's just handier now that said, guys like Mark Donnelly were playing with Gary Owen last year. I think he's playing with Cork Con now this year. Same with Paddy Patterson. Before you know, prior to him kind of becoming more on the pro side, he was playing a lot with Cork Con as well. So like, there's and I think Keen Hurley is also going to Cork Con too. So you have a bit of travel that's involved there with AIL. It's not just the Cork, but it's the wherever the game is being played. Um, so yeah, look, I think it's certainly it makes sense if you're going to be joining the academy to move to, to Limerick that's just the way that it is I think it's just your, the nearer you are to your uh, to where the games and the training is, is happening the handier it is for you as an athlete there's less time in the car you're recovering more you know again and, and you're, you're kind of there, there's the buzz of being around where training is I, I think that makes sense you know I think that's something that um, there's an expectation there to a certain extent but I don't think anybody will be going well you either move to Limerick now or you're not going to make it as a player. I don't. I think they'll always kind of work around a fella's education. Um, but I think certainly, if it were me, I'd try and sync up what I'm doing in college. Is that in UL? We'll do that in UL. So I can go to training, do my college, go home. I'm not, you know, up and down in the car because believe me, having done it relatively, re- relatively recently for a number of weeks, driving up from Cork to Limerick... <laughs> at the moment as it stands is not fun um and especially with you've got your young daughter in the back and your partner in there as well and um yeah it is not fun so if you're playing an incredibly physical game like rugby i'd imagine it's even less fun so 
uh, this next question here. Uh, in the context of the conversation about on-ball rugby, counter-transition and game trends, I would be super interested to hear who you rate as the top coaching minds in rugby right now, whether they be test coaches or club coaches. Um, for me, I think Eddie Jones at the moment is, and has been for a while, probably the best thinker of the game um, out there. I think a lot of stuff at the moment when we look at, we'll say, Ronan O'Gara and um, Scott Robertson, they're talking about the the people side of the game. So you're talking about the how you build a team, how you theme a team. Very difficult for me, my accent, to say that. How you are able to get everybody onto the same page, caring about the games you're playing or whatever else. That's obviously hugely important. But if you're looking at raw game trends... I think Mike Prendergast is up there with anybody in the game at the moment on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to generating a, a winning style of, of, of rugby. I think looking at um, Joe Shaw, uh, head coach at Saracens. I think he's a guy as well. He's got a very good understanding of the modern game. Same with um, Kevin Sorrell at, at, at uh, Saracens as well. I think they're both two guys who really understand the, the game and I think the way that they've expanded Saracen's uh, game in the last couple of years has been really really good um, I think that's where a lot of the modern top coaching is happening actually I, I think you look at you know where I think France at the moment is, is the real engine of the modern game and I think that that's something where I think in the years to come we'll see a growing divide between the, the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere when it comes to quality and when it comes to I suppose being the dominant force in you know world rugby, I think it's going to move more towards the north now than what it has been over the last couple of decades. Uh, I think you look at, at Toulouse, even the likes of uh, Clement Patrono, I think has been a, a really good um, attacking coach for, for Toulouse. I think he's added an awful lot to them. And I think that um, certainly I think when you look at how those clubs have, have I think how they've, you know, pushed on French rugby in the last, we'll say, five or six years to being more than just about big size, you know, big set piece, to being, I think, the dominant engine of the game at the moment. And, and you know, we have to look at that as being a massive positive um, for Northern rugby or Northern Hemisphere rugby. But also, I think it shows that um, when it comes to their thoughts on the game, I think that those clubs and those coaches, I think, are driving the thought process of the game in a way that we haven't seen before and I think that are I think they're at the forefront of the modern game but again I think the likes of of um, Eddie Jones in particular at test level is, a, is always a huge innovator for me I think he's a guy I, I'm biased there I think he's, he's one of my favourite coaches he's taught me a lot about the game in, in how to think about it and how to assess it um, but I, I think that those guys are the fellas who are driving the game at the top end at the moment anyway for me so thank you very much for all those questions I've got more coming in the next couple of um, in the next couple of days on a TRK mailbag because I'm in a, in a position now where I can just sit down and record really easily so uh, that's all coming up in the next couple of days thank you very much for joining me uh, thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber I will talk to you again very very soon